Good morning to our good friend, Mr. Al Bat, somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota. Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. I hope uh, hope you're having a great day. It's getting cool, but, oh, you know, the red oaks are starting to show some of those rich reds and browns, and the red asparagus berries are evident now. I've, I had a red-breasted nuthatch in my yard, I think the first day was like October 12th. It's an, another mile post of a year. Uh, skunk and raccoon carcasses litter the highways. Uh, <laughs> many of those are young animals unaware of the dangers found there and happens every year. And I watched a kettle of turkey vultures surfing on the wind over New Ulm. They performed an aerial ballet. And earlier I'd seen uh, a hazmat team of vultures working on removing a dead raccoon from the road. It's a job that pays them all they can eat. And actually I think a group of turkey vultures at a roadkill is called a wake, which is just like the perfect name or something like that. I mean, our wakes don't quite go to those extremes, <laughs> but it's uh, it's a great name for them. Yeah. And I think when they're in a tree, when they're perched, then people can call them a committee or maybe a venue. Which uh, So they have a lot of different uh, collective nouns. I saw a belted kingfisher fishing at the edge of a, a lake. And a kingfisher has this, a heavy bill that serves as a fishing spear. And the species is sexually dimorphic, and that means uh, the males and the females look different. And the usual pattern in species that are sexually dimorphic is that the males tend to be more colorful than the females. And we think of uh, right off cardinals. We see this beautiful red, and she is just as pretty, I think, but she's a little more subdued, a little more refined, perhaps. But the female belted kingfisher is bigger and more colorful than the male, and this is called reverse sexual dimorphism. Uh, She displays an additional rust-colored patch across her belly, and she has a belt. And my wife says that means she wears the pants in the family, and (laughs) I'm not one to argue about that. Uh, Ann Hoffert, uh, Melville, North Dakota. I have been to beautiful Melville. I don't know what the population is of Melville, a couple anyway. She sent me a photo on the edge of Arrowwood Lake, and it's a sleeping muskrat had cozied up to a painted turtle on a hay bale. That was really a wonderful photo. Uh, Bob Hargis of Riverton, Wyoming, wrote, he said, Al, you talked about hand-feeding a Canada Jay. Uh, Bob went on to say that his father-in-law was holding his hand, clutching a peanut butter and jelly sandwich out a car's window. And a camp robber, a Canada Jay, grabbed onto the sandwich and held on even when the PB&J was brought into the car. And Bob said his father-in-law became a reluctant birder by inquiring, what is this bird? So that's, I guess, how some people become uh, become birders. They eat PB&J sandwiches. <laughs> Harvey Benson of Harmony, Minnesota, asked why the birds had disappeared from his feeders. He said, I had so many, I couldn't keep up with them, and now nothing. The feed is just pretty much um, nothing except blue jays. Well, 
Uh, Harvey, cone, berry, seed, insect abundance, they change from season to season and from year to year. And this causes birds to move about to take advantage of food and to escape areas with shortages. The dietary needs of birds change during the year. We see this with uh, yellow rump warblers that are going through. Most of them have gone through, I think, by now. But they will eat berries at this time of year. And they will in the spring, too, and then they go to insects. But they can eat the berries, and that keeps them going. So they may move away from your feeders on a seasonal basis. Fewer birds at feeders during late summer and early fall occur as there is plenty of natural food available. And just like Arnold Schwarzenegger, they will be back. <laughs> uh, Pamela, oh, I knew Pamela by her previous name. You know how, I don't know what that is about. I think it's a male brain. We tend to remember people by previous last names. Uh, Pamela Brussman sent me a photo of a juvenile red-headed woodpecker that has a gray head. And I saw two of them in my yard yesterday, so it's the time to see those guys. They are not red-headed woodpeckers at this time. They are gray-headed woodpeckers. But other than that, they look just like the adults pretty much. Uh, Ricky Bowen of Carrington, North Dakota, sent me a beautiful collage of photos that he had taken of insects and just, oh, you know, beetles and butterflies and uh, dragonflies and all these, just wonderful. Uh, Sherburn National Wildlife Refuge. If anybody likes to see sandhill cranes, and who doesn't, uh, the refuge staff estimates there are 5,478 cranes there. Which strikes, that's an estimate. You know, you and I would do an estimate. We'd say there's 5,500, but they're doing it right down to 5,478 cranes and that are staging on the refuge right now, and they're refueling for the final migration flight in a few weeks. And from at sunrise and sunset, the CB County Road 70, there's a parking lot. You can see the overhead flight, or you can walk in about... I don't know, it's less than a mile, I'll call it three-quarters of a mile, to see them in, oh, I'm going to, it's Durgan, I believe, wetland. And then during the day, any of the recently harvested farm fields north and northwest of the refuge boundaries. So it's uh, Sherburn National Wildlife Refuge is one of the great places to see them. Uh, Kathy Enter said, hello, Al. We live near Swan Lake, Nicollet. We have had a pair of cardinals for a long time, year-round. We started seeing blue jays arriving in the past couple of weeks. In the past, just a couple here and there and no issues. So right around the time the blue jays started showing up, our cardinals disappeared. And I'm afraid the blue jays pushed them out of our place. Today we had eight blue jays in our yard, and they are such meanies to everything out there. We never had that many at one time. Do you think our cardinals were chased out of here? Our hummingbirds left very early this year, at least three, if not three weeks, if not four. Do they know something that we don't about our winter coming up, I wonder? Uh, Kathy, uh, some blue jays migrate, and there seems to be an abundance of them this year. But then when I think about it, there seems to be an abundance of them every year in my yard anyway, because my yard's really busy with them. It's hard telling where they originated. I hear some of the hawk mimics they do, so I know they're not local birds, necessarily all of them anyway. Uh, 
They can be nomadic this time of year, and their natural food shelves are filled, so they love to eat acorns, and so they've got uh, a good supply. And this can be the case with cardinals, too, in that they have natural food shelves are filled. If cardinals have ever considered doing some short distance traveling, this would be the time of year to do it because they've got food, so they can go pretty much everywhere and there'll be food there. The cardinals might come back. They probably will. I hope so. I'm prepared, Kathy, to to cross my fingers for an uncomfortable period of time to help that become a fact. Could an influx of jays have caused them to temporarily relocate? It could have, but the relocation could be due to any number of reasons. I think the weather was conducive for hummingbird travel, so I think they were able to get through a lickety-split, and I hope their easy commute isn't indicative of an upcoming harsh winter. Well, we'll probably have one anyway, you know, because that's kind of how it works in Minnesota, sadly. So, Kathy... I still have my fingers crossed, but I hope your cardinals are back safely ensconced in your yard. Uh, Doug Keezer, who's just a, he's a, a he's a birding oh people that aren't birders would call him a birding nut I think and the rest <laughs> of us would say he's a birder extraordinaire. He saw a short-eared owl in Sibley County. A listener said. Uh, I read something in the St. Paul paper about great-tailed grackles. Are they found in Minnesota? Uh, Yes, but most of this, what would be considered rare in Minnesota species, have been documented in southwestern Minnesota counties. And breeding has been confirmed in Jackson County. I've seen them uh, a few times in Jackson County. The species has been found repeatedly over the years. These long-legged, long-tailed birds are extending their range northward. I see and hear them everywhere when I'm in Texas. They're just, uh, they're just part of every day down there. And they sound like everything from a squeaky door hinge to radio static to rusty machinery to laughing whistles. I was in Austin, Texas, and there's a lot of food trucks there, and they love the food trucks because there's uh, spilled food. An acquaintance there calls them taco raptors. So I Hmm. thought that's just a great name, a taco raptor, because they have this, they're big birds, long tail, and they have the grackle look, so taco raptor is perfect. A listener asked, where do the vultures I see here in Mankato winter? Uh, turkey vultures are wonderfully adapted to the life of a scavenger. And where do they go in the winter? They winter in the southern U.S., um, Mexico, Central America, and South America. So uh, some of them don't go too far, and some go uh, quite, a, quite a long ways. Was Woody the woodpecker based upon a pileated woodpecker? Huh, good question. This, um yeah. yeah, and I know some folks probably say, who the heck is Woody the Woodpecker? <laughs> uh, he, he, yeah, there you go. He was a woodpecker of of uh, great repute, and he was on cartoons, he did ads. 
I think Wally the Walrus was his chief nemesis because every cartoon hero had to have a, an enemy, and that was his was a walrus, and I believe it was called Wally. Uh, Woody the Woodpecker, he looked like a pileated woodpecker. It sort of sounded like it if you used your imagination. And as happens in cartoons, the creators used artistic license to develop Woody. And for years, I thought he was based on a pileated woodpecker. He just seemed like a pileated woodpecker. But there's reports claiming he was inspired by a noisy acorn woodpecker that disrupted his creator, animator (laughs) Walter Lance's honeymoon by persistently calling and drumming on the couple. I've heard the uh, collective noun for acorn woodpeckers is a bushel, but that just sounds almost too cute, so that might have been said in jest. I've never heard of acorn woodpeckers before. I was in uh, Napa. My wife and I were in Napa Valley here not too long ago, and we saw them there, and they are a uh, communal group, and they will drill holes in a tree, and then they'll put the or. It doesn't even have to be a tree, and wood, I guess. And then they will put the acorns in there. So they save their acorns and they cache them. They're really pretty birds. Um, i I just uh, happy to see them. We don't, of course, see them around here. But out in uh, California, we see a lot of them. And one of the acorn woodpeckers commonly heard calls as a loud, repeated kind of whacka, whacka, whacka. Uh, but a case could be made that Woody sounds more like a pileated woodpecker. Woody once said he was a uh, was a Campophilus. I know the last is his Principalis. I, I want to say Campophilus Principalis. And anyway, that's an ivory-billed woodpecker. Huh. And one episode showed Woody looking at a book at a picture of an ivory-billed woodpecker and it looked just like Woody the Woodpecker. It was like he was looking at himself. But it's safe to say, I guess, that Woody is a generic woodpecker and not an exact representation of any one species. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has declared the ivory-billed woodpecker extinct. Mm. But uh, Woody is still doing okay. He's still out there doing stuff. But I guess if you go by what Woody said, he's an ivory-billed woodpecker. If we go by our eyes, he's a pileated woodpecker. But if you go by Walter Lance and his wife, he is a uh, acorn woodpecker. I just so thought he was a cartoon character. <laughs> they, you got it right. Probably yeah, that's the best. Just, he's probably a little bit of all three of those because they're drawing these. So Walter's drawing these, and he said, "Boy, you know, I could, I could do a." Uh, a series of comics, so I just change him a little bit as far as his identification. Using his artistic uh, license, of course, is what I think. Yeah, and there. it was, uh, oh, we liked Woody the Woodpecker, and I'm sure he's still on one of the cartoon channels Reruns, or something I'm on sure. TV. Yeah. What is digging up my lawn? Oh, what is That's digging up? Question. I was going to say, what is digging up in my hostas? And, and I know who it is. I think it's the squirrels burying nuts. Is that what you're going to say? Is, well, it could be the guys replacing a septic tank. Oh. <laughs> I don't know about this person's lawn. You know, you just, uh, before you get too upset sure. with them, you might want to see if they got the right house. <laughs> uh, it could be raccoons and oh. skunks. 
So they tear up the lawn night after night. They pull back chunks of turf, and they're, in, they're searching for grubs to eat. Now, I had a deer hunter tell me that deer will tear up looking for grubs to eat, but I, I've never heard of that. And, I, yeah, I'm not doubting him or anything, but I, I've, I've never heard of that. I know they will occasionally, um, during rut, they will um, tear up a little bit, but I've, I've never had that in my yard. It's just I'm going to look that up. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me that deer would eat grubs because they will eat eggs and everything, but I've just yes. never had them tearing up my lawn. And I certainly have raccoons and skunks that will do that each year in search of these delicious grubs to eat. Raccoons will roll up the lawn like they're a, a sod service while searching for the grubs and other larval insects, where skunks make small individual holes when they search for insect larvae. And squirrels, they dig holes when they bury the food during the day. So if the holes are showing up during the day and you hadn't seen them earlier, then it's the squirrels burying food. If they happen at night, then it's more than likely raccoons and skunks tearing up the lawn. And they are very good at it. And they will keep coming back to the same place because they're finding grubs in there. And they're finding Japanese beetle grubs, uh, June bug grubs, whatever they can find in there. Some of the grubs are sizable. So it's uh, food that makes sense for them to work a little bit to get because they're not burning up too much energy. I was planting some uh, tulip bulbs and daffodil bulbs, and I noticed a number of big, big, fat grubs. And I know the the Japanese beetle ones are a little skinnier. So what are some of those big, big, fat ones that I'm digging up, do you think? They could very possibly be um, the June bugs. Oh. And they are very large. Yep, I'll bet you. And apparently I had a chihuahua that love to eat not only June bugs, the adults, but the grubs. Oh, yeah. He thought those were, yeah, he thought that was that was a definite treat, and he couldn't understand why McDonald's or somewhere <laughs> hadn't grabbed onto that so you could get those there, but he really liked those. So apparently I, I've not, I've resisted the urge to sample one. Yeah. So I think I I'm going to be all right on that. I have eaten a lot of insects, but uh, on the purpose? grubs, they're just, yeah. Really? Oh, I've been, I've only eaten them accidentally, and my dad always used to say, get a little extra protein there. That's right, yeah. And um, I've eaten oh, ants and grasshoppers and things like that. And, you know, they weren't they weren't bad. I, Have and, you ever uh, seen I that show Dual Survival? It's, it's, um, it's on Quest. It's a TV station, and it's about these two guys where they show how you can survive in the wild, and, and they will eat everything from you know grubs to bugs to to snakes and things like that and it just i suppose if you had to survive but you know having been a vegetarian for 45 or six or whatever years it just doesn't appeal to me (laughs) wow yeah no i i've eaten snakes and snakes and alligators and crawfish or crayfish and all those kind of things and I I don't know, you know, they always say they taste like chicken. I haven't found any of them taste anything like chicken, but <laughs> maybe 
maybe uh, my uh, taste buds are just different. And I've not seen the show. And I have to be honest, I didn't know there was a TV channel called Quest. So that's well, how much I am out of. We the loop. only get basic cable, so it's whatever you don't have to pay very much for. So it, yeah, it's it's called Dual Survival. Two guys they send out in the middle of nowhere, and obviously they're going to be okay because there's camera people taking pictures of their every move. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, they show them in the worst cases you can possibly possibly happen so it's, it's really kind of a fun interesting thing and i always think of you and how you would survive out there al and you wouldn't probably kill a flea so you'd be out there and you'd be skinny or starving to death right. yeah that's i know there was a um where gail and i go a lot of haynes alaska and they have a show that they do up there a reality show and everyone knows that the reality shows are really heavily scripted yeah. uh, I mean, they just uh, yelling and they always have some guy that has to do something incredibly stupid so Drama. he can get yelled at and see if he can keep his job and his <laughs> and they uh, yes. <laughs> the one guy up there told me he said he got fired from the job because he uh, some of the stuff was so stupid he wouldn't do that. He said, nobody in their right mind, if there's anybody in the same business as I am, and they're watching me do that, they're going to say, what an idiot. What is wrong with that guy? <laughs> so he was uh, a member of the family that uh, the show's kind of named for and everything, and yet they, they fired him. So Because he, he wouldn't do the stupidest stuff you would never do if you were actually in that situation, probably. Yeah. Yep, and apparently he was the guy that they deemed uh, looked stupid enough or something that he would do these <laughs> things, oh, and he just wouldn't do it. So he got, uh, and I think the the rest of them are doing real well on the show. Speaking of I, eating I'm things, I got a, a picture from our friend John in New Ulm. It's a picture of some berries hanging from a tree, and he said the robins are really going after the orange berries on the tree today and uh, at his dad's house. So he sent a picture uh, for me, so he so he said, so I can watch it, look at it while I'm uh, talking to you. It's very pretty, pretty berries. But then I also there's a question I saw that somebody wrote: Do birds or or animals really get drunk on berries that are fermented? Is that the case, or do we just kind of humanize it in our own way, and so it's not really? Yeah, no, they uh, they can. Oh, uh, robin, robins and cedar waxwings are the ones that are most likely to do that, and it's probably maybe in the spring when the berries have spent a winter hanging and have had time to ferment and become alcohol. So these guys come in, and the one John, you know, the ones that berries I think of now are mountain ash, or usually the orange ones. We have hawthorn and uh, highbush cranberries, more red. But they uh, they do get in there and uh, they sample, uh, as uh, humans would say, they sample the grape. Uh, they will eat that and not knowing it's, uh, I suppose it tastes good. And in that time of year, it's a little harder to find food, so they're eating that. And I remember a few years ago, they had all kinds of news stories from up in northern Minnesota somewhere about drunken birds. And it sounded like they were cedar waxwings for the most part. Mm that were in there and uh, were overserved by their local neighborhood <laughs> tree <laughs> and uh, just uh, did some goofy things and acted uh, acted not normal. So yeah, it sure does happen and it's always good to hear from John. Uh, a listener said, "Are you seeing a lot of deer?" Uh yeah, I sure am. Uh you know, winter it, I'm just going to talk about 
southern Minnesota now, not the rest of the state, but weather conditions for deer and other uh, farmland wildlife, I would call them, were favorable in 2020-21. Winter conditions were mild, and we had above-average temperatures, lower than typical snow depths. Uh, Spring and summer precipitation was below normal, and that led to this widespread drought conditions through much of the state beginning in the summer, but it eased here in the fall. Uh, Drought conditions had no measurable impact on the deer herd or fawn production. So fawn production was good, a lot of fawns, and despite the drought conditions, overall habitat's in pretty good shape. River floodplains, which offer some of the best deer habitat in southern Minnesota, has had two consecutive years to recover from persistent flooding. And these floodplain habitats are once again offering excellent cover for deer. Upland grassland areas, wetland basins are in good shape, so deer populations are strong throughout the southern regions. So it's uh, good for hunters, I guess, and uh, um, worthy of caution to uh, drivers. Uh, There'll just be a lot of deer out Mm -hmm. there, and I'm starting to see them on the road a little bit more now, too, and that'll... uh, That'll grow in numbers, so everybody just be be careful out there. It's um, I, I know we're all in a hurry. I'm guilty of that. Everybody is, I think, except uh, some of the guys on our rural roads, like where <laughs> I live here. They're they're not in a hurry, and uh, you know more power to them. And because I see a long line behind a combine, and you know there's some white knuckles up there, or somebody's pounding on their steering yeah. wheel, saying, "Oh my goodness!" But you know, just start out a little earlier, do something, and so you don't have to do that because those combines are going as fast as they can. So there's just no way. The trouble with a lot of the combines and stuff is they don't fit into one lane yeah. uh, very well. They're just really big. So everybody, be careful. Um, thanks everybody for sitting on the front porch with us. You know, I. I suffered a flat tire in church the other day. Um, There was no car involved. Hmm. A flat tire is a slang term when I was a kid for the result of someone stepping on my heel so that my (laughs) shoe comes loose. And we used to do that when I was a kid, you know. You just go up and step on somebody's loafer and try it. Oh, it was so funny. But this was in church, and it happened during a rush to the food at a potluck. Oh, no. <laughs> it was like it was like the days uh, Dayton's white sale or something. We just all got up and boom, we were, oh I love I love potlucks. People and good food. That's euphoria with beans. And I said grace at a table weighed down like an aircraft carrier with food. Bless the food in the hands that prepared it. I wished all good things for everyone and Rice Krispie bars for me because there were Rice Krispie bars, but there was a limited amount of them. And a woman came up and she said, she was a hostess, she said, did you get enough to eat? And that's church lady talk for you've had enough to eat. (laughs) Remember, folks, heartless while we're driving past. Thanks for listening. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, I enjoyed your company, and you have your best day ever. Hey, you too, Al. It's always great to chat with you. We'll be back again with you next week. Until then, happy birthday.